forged in fire. Joseph's leadership is tested. Does he hold on to the many wrongs? Does he use them for vengeance when he comes into positions of leadership? Or does he allow God to work through him? Is he strengthened through the trials of his past? Let's find out what our God does. You know, throughout history, God has been telling us virtually the same story over and over and over. You think all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, um, they sinned in the garden. What did God do? God killed an animal, shedding its blood so that the skin of the animal would cover the shame of their sin. He took the skin of that slain animal. He clothed Adam and Eve with his mercy. And you fast forward. One day, God speaks to Noah, an archetype of Christ to come. And he tells Noah, I want you to go out and build an ark, this huge ship, because rain is coming. The wrath of God was coming. And Noah knew that God had spoken, so what did he do? He got to work. And he and his family, once the ark was done, there was no rain. There wasn't even a cloud in the sky, probably. Noah and his family, what did they do? They got in the ark. And they stayed there for seven days. A direct prophecy of the end times tribulation. That's right. They were hidden away in the ark with the presence of God before the reign of wrath ended the rest of humanity. God delivered Noah and his family from his wrath of destruction and um, You fast forward, the children of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. God sends them an archetype of Christ, Moses, who trusted in God. He led them out. Pharaoh was no match for the living God working through the life of Moses. God had mercy on his people and delivered them from their slavery. Then there's those three Hebrew boys. Remember them? Shadrach, Meshach, and You went to Sunday school, I can tell. That's right. And they were thrown into the fires by the powers of this world, and God shows up again and delivers them again. Daniel. What happened to Daniel? He's thrown into the lion's den. And what happens? God's deliverance shows up again. He shuts the mouths of the lions. Then you got Goliath. He's beating up the people of God. They're scared to death of him. Another archetype comes by the name of David, a little shepherd boy. And he takes his slingshot and he takes that one stone and with one stone slays the mighty giant. Deliverance again. God killed an animal, parted the sea, guided a stone, built an ark, overcame the flames, shut the mouths of lions, so over and over we would get this. He delivers his people. (laughs) always. These all took place so we would be pointed to the one who was to come. They were telling the story of Jesus since the beginning of time. Jesus died on a cross, shed his blood, becoming the ark of deliverance that shelters us from the wrath of God. He died providing the payment, the covering, if you will, for our sin so we would be restored to our Father and become the holy bride of Christ. When you think of all of these deliverers throughout the Old Testament, perhaps the most obvious archetype of Christ is our subject for the summer series, Joseph. Think about it. He He left his home, his rightful place, 
to live in a foreign land, to be mistreated, to be forgotten. He rose to power at the age of 30. Sound familiar? After Pharaoh had elevated him to be second in command, he told his subjects, just do whatever Joseph tells you. Reminds me of the words of Mary to the servants at the, at the, at the marriage feast in Cana, where, what, where Jesus turned the water into wine. She told all the servants, just do what he tells you to do, and we'll be fine. God wants us to see this connection. Joseph reveals to Pharaoh, a seven-year famine is coming, but God has provided a way of escape. God is providing seven years of abundance before the famine. There is a seven-year tribulation coming, but Jesus has provided an abundance of grace that will shelter us, provide for us during that time. This is the season of reaping souls for the kingdom of God. This is the season that the word of God is still freely preached throughout much of the world. But the coming seven-year famine of God's wrath, I think, is close at hand. And with it, again, the same old ancient story of God's deliverance. Jesus has told us there will be an ark, just as in the days of Noah. He will shield us from the flood of his wrath to be poured out. He will catch us away to be with him during the seven-year tribulation. And then we will return with him to live here for a thousand years under his lordship and authority. (laughs) You know what I say? I cannot wait. I just can't wait. You're thinking, he talks about this every week. He needs to just go on, right? No. No. You know, part of me wonders, part of me wonders each week if this is my last sermon. My last opportunity to tell people to be reconciled to God. My last opportunity to tell you what Jesus will do in your life if you just believe. I do know this. One of these Sundays will be the last one. Are you ready? Or like I said last week, aren't you ready? (laughs) In our study on the life of Joseph, um, we're at the point in the story where the famine, the good years are now ending and the famine is about to begin. He's been given a wife. Last week we looked at all these things that Pharaoh gave him uh, to preside over the, uh, the, the land. And he also gave him a wife named Asenath. And so we pick up the story, the last paragraph of Genesis 41, starting with verse 50. And now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, born to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. He named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. When the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, then there was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. 
Whatever he says to you, you shall do. When the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. I'm going to focus today on the names of the two boys. He names the first son Manasseh. And the name means causes to forget. It would be like a teenage boy who goes into deep, dark depression because his, his girlfriend just broke up with him. He's heartbroken. Do teenage boys get heartbroken? Mm, yeah. Wondering if life will ever have meaning again. And as he sulks, he hears someone say, hi. He looks up to see the most beautiful human being he's ever laid eyes on. And she causes him to forget. What's her name? Right? You see, God has done something in Joseph's heart. He now understands the plan for his life. He sees that if he were not in Egypt, all these people are going to die. They wouldn't. He's the deliverer. He is the reason. His presence there, God's reason was to have him in place at the right time. But he had to do something in his heart, and God healed him. And Joseph puts it this way. God made me forget his former life. So I make this point. God's grace wipes out the past. Amen? It just does. He causes us to forget. Now, I don't mean physically forget. I mean, that's not even true in this story. When, when Joseph's brothers come to Egypt looking for him, this is later in the story, they're looking for food. I mean, they're not looking for him. They're looking for food. They're hungry. And so they hear there's bread down in Egypt. Let's go down to Egypt and see if we can buy some food. Did Joseph know exactly who they were when he saw them? Oh, yeah, he did. He remembered how they had sold him into slavery. He even spoke to them about their father. And through a series of events, got his father and his little brother, who wasn't there the first time, to come back with him. He remembered everything that happened, but something had taken place in his heart. God had healed him from the sting, the pain, the wound of the past. We, we know that because he faces his brothers without the desire for revenge. You could do that, couldn't you? Your family members sell you into slavery and you're away from them for 13 years and here they come begging you for food. What would you say? Mm -mm. I at least need an apology. No. God changed Joseph. And I want you to know that that didn't happen through endless hours of counseling. It didn't happen through a support group. Not that those things are bad. 
It, it didn't happen by reading the right books. God did it. God changed his heart. God came and caused him to forget the pain of the past. So I ask you, have you ever been wounded? You know, I love it when I ask questions and I see everybody just looking straight ahead. <laughs> of course you have, right? We've all been wounded. We've all been hurt. You ever done things you're shameful? You feel shameful about? There's been times in my life where this has taken place and I would try to pray it out and, and I would say, Lord, I just want you to get rid of this. And I, I would say, I would like for you to fix this situation, but all, this, all the while God is working on my heart. And every time I thought about it, it would still just churn up the same old feelings. There have been times in my life where someone would say something or did something that wounded me and I would come away and I'd say, I didn't deserve that. And who am I telling that to? And to make matters worse, you just have to take it. Everything inside of us wants to fight back or stand up for ourselves and at least let everyone know that this is not right. Look! I guess one thing I've learned through the years is that um, so often God is in the middle of the conflict doing his work in my heart. God is using the situation to bring about his plan, his will. His change in me. He may be setting me free from things I didn't know I needed to be set free from. But so often, folks, we carry the wounds of the past almost like a badge of honor. We feel we have a right to our pain. Look how they treated me. Look at the family I grew up in. All these things that we list off to God as to why I have a right to my pain. And as weird as it sounds, we just don't want to give it up. It's ours. We earned it. Fair and square. Maybe you need God to cause you to forget today. Maybe you just need to finally accept healing, his forgetfulness. Maybe it's time to get unstuck, <laughs> because that's where you are if, if you're asking God to avenge or repair or fix things before you, you just get stuck. For Joseph, the re, uh, it required agreement with God's plan for his life. Um, he, he could have said, God, you let those brothers of mine sell me. How many times do you ever blame God for the problems in your life? God, you let my brothers sell me. Uh, God, you let Potiphar's wife accuse me. You let the cupbearer forget me. And until you restore what's been lost, until you atone for my mistreatment, I have a right to my resentment. He 
He could have said that, but what? He didn't. He realized it was all part of God's plan. You hear me? You look at the life of Joseph, it was all part of God's plan. Selling into slavery, sitting in prison all those years, being falsely accused. God's plan. Paul speaks of this in Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, this, this, this passage has always intrigued me because um, Paul makes a statement, this one thing I do, and then he lists three things. It's kind of Paul-like, isn't it? He says, this one thing I do. He says, I'm going to forget the past. I'm going to reach forward. I'm going to press towards the goal. And I think what he's communicating to us is those three are three parts of the same thing. You don't reach forward and press towards the goal as long as you're remembering the past. You're stuck. And I want you to know it's a beautiful thing to say, God, I'll endure anything, go anywhere, face any challenge, as long as I have you, as long as you go with me, as long as I know I'm your will, and God will wipe away the stain of the past. The other son's name was Ephraim. And the name means great fruitfulness or even double fruit. It's the same name given to the little village in Micah's prophecy, Bethlehem Ephratah, where the best fruit was born. <laughs> Joseph makes the statement in the passage saying that the name was given because God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Interesting how he puts that, isn't it? Where is the fruit produced? He says, in the land of affliction. So here's my point. The wilderness is where fruit is planted. We love the wilderness, don't we? We love what the wilderness can do in our lives, right? Not really. Jesus was, I mean, Joseph was sold by his brothers when he was 17, and now he's 30. That's 13 years. 13 years of nightmare, hardship, setback, frustration. Wilderness. But it changed him because he let it change him. He is now in a position where he can handle this awesome, great authority. This power that has been bestowed on him and not abuse it. Now he can meet his brothers without this heart of vengeance. Now he could be God's man in God's place at God's time. 
reminds me of C.S. Lewis's quote. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain will get your attention. <laughs> if you go back to all the little stories I told at the beginning, they all involve pain. The Jews were in captivity before Moses came. Noah was ridiculed, unaccepted in town because of this crazy ark idea. Israelites were petrified of, of Goliath. There was a fiery furnace, the lion's den. You get the point. So I, I, I think... I think I can make this statement. If your goal in life is to avoid pain, avoid the wilderness at any cost, you will never know the fullness of God's work in your life. Because you will make decisions based on avoiding pain rather than joining with God in what he's doing, which may include risk, which may include pain. I mean, imagine Moses over there in the land of Midian when the Lord comes and calls him. Well, imagine Moses saying, no, Lord, I'm not going there. I killed a man. They're going to string me up if I go back there. It's going to be painful. No. Or Noah saying, no, Lord, I'm not building an ark. They're going to think I'm crazy. Aren't you glad we live in such a time that God won't ask us to face these kinds of situations. We're, we're, we won't be facing famine or mistreatment or tyrannical leaders, right? There aren't any pressures on God's people, the church in our day and age, right? I don't know how much longer we have before the rapture. But the world continues to move towards a one-world government. We know that, right? We see it every day. They are using what they call the climate crisis as the reason for drastic action. And many, I, I hear this all the time. I read it on the, on the internet. I, I hear it in news reports. I hear it from leaders of corporations. I hear it from presidents. We are at a critical stage that if we don't change on a global level, the planet will be severely threatened by 2030. How many years do we have? Seven. They keep saying the next seven years are critical. All nations need to sign on to the strategic goals of the United Nations or we are doomed. People are believing it. National, national leaders believe it. The great corporations believe it. Media, academia, fall right in line. There is a meeting to reconfirm the 2015 covenant called Agenda 2030. It's taking place in September this year on the Jewish feast of Rosh Hashanah. Interesting coincidence. At that meeting, the nations of the world are going to recommit the next seven years to radical change in order to save the planet. 
It is fully expected that a worldwide climate crisis will be proclaimed and radical steps saved, uh, taken to prevent this cataclysmic disaster in 2030. In Daniel, the ninth chapter, the 27th verse, the prophecy is given that the world in the end times will reconfirm a covenant for seven years under the rule of the Antichrist. Am I saying that this is that? I don't know. But it makes me curious. The church will be seen more and more as an enemy of the advancement of their goals. More and more we will face the choice between God's will in our lives or our personal comfort and lack of pain. I think I can say this. Brace yourself, I'm moving off script. <laughs> Sometimes I hear people say, I don't want to hear anything about the end of, uh, end of times. I don't want to hear anything about eschatology. I don't want to hear anything about all of that because the, there's a verse in the Bible that says, no one knows the day or the hour, which is their cue to say, I want life to just keep on going the way it is, and I don't want to think about those things. I'll put up my hundreds of verses against your one verse. To be ready, to be watchful. I think of the letter to the church at Sardis in Revelation, the third chapter, where he says, wake up or you will not know the hour of my return, of my coming, my visitation. The inverse is true of that. If you're awake, <laughs> he says in, 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 the, in 1 Thessalonians that uh, to the church, to the people who are watching and waiting, you will not, he will not come as a thief. He will come as a thief to those who aren't expecting, who aren't looking, who aren't watching. Over and over, we are told to watch and look for the signs of the times in which we live. Jesus himself said it in Luke 21, 28. He says, but when these things begin to take place, straighten up. I like that, don't you? Straighten up. That's what my mom used to tell me. Straighten up. <laughs> Lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Yeah. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. Worship team, come and get ready. You may have noticed quietly. You may have noticed. As Tim said, the songs we sang today have the name of Jesus in their title. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus over everything. He reigns forevermore. When I was a sinner, he saved me from who I was because why? That's what Jesus does. <laughs> I want you to know today that Jesus heals the wounded heart. His grace is sufficient. Jesus makes you forget the past. Jesus plants his fruit right in the land of your affliction. But you're going to have to let go of your rights to your pain. His healing is thorough. It's complete. You're going to have to be willing to even forgive yourself probably. Can you let God forgive the perpetrators in your life? That's what Joseph had to do and God set him free.
I'm here to proclaim today that the name of Jesus is power. The name of Jesus is healing. I speak the name of Jesus over your heart and over your mind today. I speak the name of Jesus over fear, addiction, anxiety, depression. Oh, I don't just speak the name of Jesus. I shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness. Jesus is over every enemy. Jesus, for our family, I speak the holy name of Jesus today. Now, we're going to sing it. And I want you to sing We do hope that you've enjoyed this episode today. If you'd like to learn more about Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas, please visit us at gbcgt.org. Many blessings from our church family to yours.